0: Genesis chapter 35, we're looking at it back to Bethel. I've told this story before, and some of you have heard it, but one of my favorite stories was there was an old man who came every Sunday morning to, as Baptists say, to rededicate his life. He would walk the aisle and greet the preacher, and every Sunday he told him the same thing. He said, Preacher, pray for me. Pray that the Lord will clean the cobwebs of my heart. And he would do that every Sunday. Lord, please clean the cobwebs of my heart. And he did that week after week. And finally, one day, the preacher just said, Lord, kill the spider. (laughs) And that's what we want to talk about this morning is how do we go to the source? For true life change in in our lives, in our heart, we have to go to the source. You know, we live in a fallen world. And as we saw last week, Jacob, for 10 years in his life, lived before the city of Shechem. Shechem was a city on a slope, and Shechem was not the only thing on a slope. Jacob was sliding in his commitment. For 10 years, he was not where he was supposed to be. God had sent him back to Bethel, but yet he waited. He lived there in Shechem for 10 years. He began to compromise his life. And we today, many of us, hey, just let's be totally honest, we compromise. We have spiritual times in our life where we are not where we are supposed to be spiritually. We begin to compromise our faith. We begin to do things maybe we thought we would never do. And we find ourselves in kind of a a spiritual fog. And the question is not whether we're going to fail. You know, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm like the guy that jumped off the Empire State Building when he passed the 35th floor. He says, so far, so good. You know, I try to be positive. But I'm going to tell you, we will have times in our spiritual life where we will fail. We will have seasons in our spiritual life where we are not as close to the Lord as we want to be, or as we should be, or even as as we need to be. And so this morning, we're going to look from the life of Jacob. What do we do during those times? How How do we get out of that spiritual pit? Again, last week, we saw that Jacob was floundering as a father. He had let his family down, and he was floundering as a follower of God. He had compromised his faith, which led him to doubt God's promises. And again, these failings ultimately impacted his family. So what do we do when we stumble spiritually? How can we get back on track when we find ourselves out of touch with the Lord? Well, we can learn a lot this morning from Jacob's experience You know, maybe as you're thinking at the lesson, reading the scripture this morning, you're probably thinking, well, you know, I've never fallen like that. And maybe you haven't. But the truth is, there are probably some people in this room today who have fallen in a worse way than Jacob Jacob fell. And you know what it's like to be out of touch with the Lord. You know what it's like to be in a spiritual wilderness. And maybe you're in a spiritual wilderness, wilderness this morning. Maybe God's brought you here just for a special word to your heart today. But I think all of us can relate to times when we're not as close to the Lord as we would like to be. Our Bible study has become more of a routine or maybe even a a drudgery. Our prayer life is just kind of rote memory or our prayer life maybe is non-existent and we find ourselves just kind of in a spiritual fog. How can we experience freshness in our walk? How can we know that we've been forgiven and can be restored in our relationship with the Lord? What can we do to get right with God? Well, I believe we'll find some answers this morning. Look at Genesis 35, verse 1. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel. And live there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. You remember, that was a very distressful time in Jacob's life. He was running for his life. He had stolen Esau's birthright. He had stolen his father's blessing on Esau. And so Esau wanted to kill Jacob. So it was a very stressful time. And that's important because during a stressful time, as we said last week, Jacob made a vow to God. And how many times do we make vows to God in times of distress, but when things ease up, we kind of forget about them. Jacob had forgotten for 10 years. Verse 2, So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods which are among you, and purify yourselves and change your garments, and let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. Isn't that interesting? Jacob had forsaken God, but Jacob realized God never forsook him. God has been with me everywhere I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods which they had and the rings which they had in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, there was a great terror upon the cities which were around them. And they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. We're going to read some more in the chapter, but let's just stop right there and have prayer. Father, thank you for your word. God, we thank you for what you did in the life of Jacob. We thank you that as you have done unto Jacob, you will do unto us, your children, today. God, we thank you that you are a loving father, a caring father. Lord, we thank you that you're a faithful God. Lord, help us to realize your faithfulness even in the midst of our failings. Help us to see this morning your promise to us your children, your call to all who would be children of God. God, speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what do we see? First of all, I want us to see just really two truths from this passage, and then we're going to apply it to our lives this morning. But the first thing is this, that God is faithful in spite of Jacob's failings. God is faithful in spite of Jacob's failings. We notice, first of all, God speaks To Jacob. Then God said to Jacob in verse one, God is the initiator in this revival of a, of a man, (laughs) if you would. God is the initiator in this restoration of his servant. And this is real important for us to recognize. God initiated Jacob's healing. Jacob was a broken man. His daughter had just been humiliated. We read that last week. She was attacked and sexually assaulted by one of the Shechemites. His sons, his hot-headed sons, had, innocent, had murdered and really slaughtered innocent people and brought a great disgrace upon Jacob's name. He was a broken man. Jacob's response to these two tragedies, what's going to happen to me? Chapter 34, verse 30. All these people are going to come get me. They're going to attack my family. And we see from his response that Jacob was a man who'd lost touch with reality, who'd lost his perspective on life. More than being concerned about his daughter, more than being concerned about his sons, he was concerned about his own life. He was fearful. What's going to happen? You've made me odious among the inhabitants of this people. So Jacob was afraid and he feared for the lives. He was a broken man. But look what in verse 3 Jacob says about God that you answered me in the day of my distress, and you have been with me wherever I have gone. Jacob recognizes that God has been faithful to him in spite of all his failure. How does God demonstrate that faithfulness? Three things. Number one, God speaks to him. (laughs) I mean, I love this. Then God said to Jacob, then God said to Jacob, after all of Jacob's mistakes, God could have and probably should have just dismissed him and cast him off. You think about it. God could have said, I'm going to go with plan B. That's it. You and your family have messed up so much. I'm going to find someone else to be my covenant people. You know, know, when when Moses was leading the children of Israel through the wilderness, and, and many times Moses would get so mad with the people, and God said, just calm down. Other times God would get so mad and Moses would just say, Lord, please have mercy. It's always said that if God and Moses ever got mad on the same day, there wouldn't be a Jew alive. But here, God is patient with Jacob. He has a plan for his people. And he knows that he's going to execute that plan through a sinful, failing man. A man who's just like us. But God spoke to him. Instead, you know, God speaks to Jacob instead of casting him off and he gives him a command. Arise, go up to Bethel. But church, you know what I think that really is? I think that's an invitation. It's an invitation from God. And I'll share why in just a minute. He commands Jacob to arise and go to Bethel. Arise and go to Bethel. The significant, significant thing about Bethel is that this is the place where it all started for Jacob. You remember? Genesis 28, this is where Jacob saw the ladder, the angels ascending and descending. He saw the Lord standing by that ladder. He made a vow to God. God made a promise to Jacob. This was a very significant spiritual place in the life of Jacob. And again, this is where it all started for Jacob in his relationship with the Lord. And so when God says, arise, go to Bethel... I think that's an invitation because God is saying to Jacob, I'm going to hit the rewind button. You made a lot of mistakes, but I'm going to hit the rewind button. Let's go back to where it all started, Jacob. I'm going to give you a fresh start. And I'm so thankful that we have a God who will hit the rewind button. I'm so thankful that we have a God who will give us not only a second chance, but a third or fourth, sometimes even a fifth chance. But God speaks... To Jacob. In spite of his 10 years of compromise, he gives Jacob another chance, a chance to go back and start over. Again, that's why I say this is more of an invitation than a command. He's saying, Jacob, arise, go to Bethel, because I'm not through with you. I'm not through with you. Again, when we find ourselves in a spiritual fog, we've got to be careful to listen for the still small voice of God. If you're a child of God, God will speak to your heart. Even when you're in the wilderness, even when you're in the far country, arise, go to Bethel. God's saying, I want to hit the rewind button. God speaks to us through his spirit. God speaks to us through his word. His word tells us that we have a God, a father who says in James 4, 8, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. His Word tells us that we have a Father, a Heavenly Father, who loves prodigals. You know that? That our Father loves prodigals. He runs out to meet prodigals when they come to their senses and return. We learn those truths through God's Word. We learn from His Word that He always welcomes us with open arms. And His his grace, His grace is so amazing that it motivates us to obey. When we have sinned so miserably and we failed so miserably and we're forgiven, that grace just surrounds us. He lavishes His grace upon us and it motivates us to be obedient. God speaks to Jacob. God will speak to you if you'll listen. God is speaking to you if you'll listen. Then secondly, He protects Jacob. Look at verse 5. As they journeyed, there was a great terror upon the cities which were around them, and they did not pursue the the family of Jacob, the sons of Jacob. Remember, Jacob's concern was that the neighbors are going to get together, and because my hot-headed sons have massacred the Shechemites, they're all going to come together, and they're going to wipe us off the face of the earth. But do you see what God did? As Jacob was traveling, verse 5 says that the cities were terrified of Jacob. Actually, said the terror of God was upon them. And so Jacob was afraid they're going to attack him. And in reality, the cities were afraid that Jacob and his people were going to do them harm. So they let him pass by safely. Do you see what God was doing? It was a miracle. God put the terror of Jacob and his sons into the hearts of the people. It really was, it was the terror of God. He protected them. In spite of his failings, God never left Jacob. What a picture of grace. What a picture of grace. You know, we can never earn God's favor. We can never earn God's blessings. We can never do enough to be worthy, to be Receive God's blessing or His favor, or, he, or God's protection, especially. He is a God of all grace. Derek Kidner, in his commentary on Genesis, says this protection was clearly divine and clearly undeserved. Amen? Clearly undeserved. How did God demonstrate His faithfulness? He spoke to Jacob, He protected Jacob, and then He reaffirms Jacob. Let's read in verse 9. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padam Aram, and he blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. This is what he told him, remember at Peniel, when, uh, when, when Jacob wrestled with God, he changed his name from Jacob to Israel. He said, But Israel shall be your name. Israel means one who strives with God. Thus he called him Israel. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. El Shaddai, I am God Almighty. El Shaddai, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come forth from you. The land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you and I will give the land to your descendants after you. God reaffirms Jacob. Again, Jacob had had two mountaintop experiences literally in his life. One, the first was at Bethel. Where he was traveling along, sleeping on a rock, didn't have anything with him but a staff. He slept on a rock. God speaks to or shows him the vision of the ladder. God makes a commitment to Jacob to use him. Jacob makes a commitment to God, a vow that you will be my God. And then the second mountaintop experience was at Peniel where he wrestled with the with God. He named the place Penile, the face of God, because I have seen the face of God. And so here, God is reaffirming Jacob. The Lord reaffirms him by reminding him of his new name. Your name is Jacob. No longer. Your name is Israel. It's Israel. Don't you know that Jacob had to be encouraged? After 10 years of living in a spiritual wilderness, 10 years of being in the fog, 10 years of compromise, God speaks to him. God reaffirms him. You know what he's saying? He said, Jacob, remember who you are. Remember who you are. So many times we we forget who we are, don't we? Remember, we're a Christian. We're a child of God. And it's important to remember who we are. It's it's important to remember what God has promised to do for us. Just like God reminds Jacob, you're going to be my people. I'm going to give this land to you. This is my promise to you. Those are important things. But church, let me tell you what's even more important. God reminds Jacob of who he is, who God is. Look at verse 11. God said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai, El Shaddai. Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, knew him as God Almighty, El Shaddai. Jacob's father, Isaac, knew him as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But see, the God of our grandfather, the God of our father, has to be our God as well, doesn't it? Just because we're bro- born into a Christian home, just because we have a great Christian heritage, our faith must become very personal. And so God revealed himself. God reminded Jacob of who Jacob was, reminded of his purpose and his plan, but most importantly, God reminds Jacob of who God is. I am God Almighty. Jacob, don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. Young people, don't ever forget who God is. Mom, dad, don't ever forget that he is El Shaddai, God Almighty. This is important to remember who we are, what God said to us but it's more important to remember who God is. God is El Shaddai, all-powerful. Fortunately, God didn't give up on Jacob. God doesn't give up on us. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says in Philippians that he who began a good work in you will perfect it, will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Why? Because he's El Shaddai. God Almighty, all-powerful. God is faithful in spite of Jacob's failings. Let's look secondly. Jacob is obedient in response to God's faithfulness. God speaks to Jacob and tells him, Arise, get up, and go to Bethel. Jacob recognizes God's faithfulness in his life. We see that in verse 3. He recognizes God's faithfulness. He recognizes God's gracious call. And he responds by doing what he should have done years ago. He cleanses himself. He says, let's put away, verse 2, the foreign gods which are among you. Purify yourselves, change your garments, and let us arise and go to Bethel. Remember when Rachel was fleeing from Laban, her father, she hid some of the household gods in her luggage, so to speak. And Laban came looking for them. Those gods came in to Jacob's house. Jacob was living near Shechem, a, a city of a pagan worship. And those gods more than likely began to infiltrate his family. So when God speaks to Jacob, Jacob says, we've got to get ready. What did they do? They got rid of their gods, they purified themselves, and they cleansed their garments. It's interesting. He deals with his idols. He deals with his idols. It's interesting because God does not tell him to get rid of the idols. He doesn't have to. God doesn't have to. Jacob knows they have to go. Jacob knows they have to go. He knows that he can't please God Almighty and live like he's been living for 10 years. Jacob knows in his heart that things aren't right. Now God speaks to him, we're going to clean house. For the first time, Jacob takes over the spiritual leadership of his family. He should have done this years ago. But he said, we're going to get all these idols out of here. We're going to cleanse our garments. We're going to purify ourselves. We're going to get right with God. Jacob lived centuries before Moses. We know in your Bible history, Before God gave the Ten Commandments to his people through Moses, but somehow Jacob knew instinctively you can't have any gods before the one true God. God is the one true God. He knew that by nature. Jacob had an immediate sense of the need for personal and family cleansing. Why? Because God had spoken to him. He was aware that there were things that he had allowed into his life that had to go. Because they were displeasing to God. As soon as God spoke to him, he knew that he had to do some spiritual house cleaning. You know, often when we're working with somebody and we want them to come to church or we want them to come to Christ, we begin to think, well, you know, they need to stop going this place. They need to stop doing this activity. They need to kind of clean up there. They need to look and act like a Christian. And maybe as a young believer, you felt the same way. I remember we're talking about Alabama football players. John David Crow, John David's dad, won the Heisman Trophy for Coach Brian at A&M. But John David was telling about his testimony. One night in a group at FCA, he prayed and trusted Christ. He left there and started doing his thing he's always done. He said about two weeks later, after receiving Christ, he's sitting in a bar in downtown Tuscaloosa. And he's sitting there looking around that bar. And just all of a sudden, he realized, this is not for me. This isn't what I want. This isn't who I am. And he said he got up and walked out of there and never went back. Why? Because the Holy Spirit convicted him. You know, you can't love Jesus and live like that. Church, we don't have to preach to people. We don't have to beat them over the head. You need to change. You need to do that. Just show them Jesus. Just let them come to know who God Almighty is. God will take care of all that. And that's what happened to Jacob. God didn't say, get rid of those idols. God just spoke to Jacob and said, I've still got a purpose for your life. And Jacob realized instinctively, hey, I'm not right. I've got to get, there's some things in my life that need to go. And that's what he began to do. Jacob knew the idols had to go, so he took care of them. Then he physically returns to Bethel. Jacob went back to the place where it all began. He was in great distress running from his angry brother. He'd made a vow to God at the place of Bethel. Now he's going back to that spiritually significant place in his life. You know, it's interesting. Abraham had Mount Moriah. I believe that every time Abraham walked by Mount Moriah, he thought about offering his son Isaac upon that hill. Here, now Jacob has Bethel, a place where he remembers a very special geographical spot that has great significance in his life. John Wesley used to talk about Aldersgate. It was a place where the Holy Spirit convicted him of his sin, and he said he felt his heart strangely warmed. And that place was always special to him. Bethel was that kind of place for Jacob. He had a holy place in his life. Let me ask do you have a place like that? Is there a place of return that you can think about that's very significant in your life? Going back to Bethel meant that God took Jacob back to his spiritual roots. While he was there, notice what he did in verse 14. Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. He did the very same thing the second time that he did the first time. He went back to a special place, and he worshiped God the same way. He went back to the basics. That's what Jacob did. Jacob repeats that practice. A special place, a special act of worship. He goes back to Bethel. He returned physically, but more importantly, he returned spiritually. Then he third remembers his commitment. Verse 15. So Jacob named the place where God has spoken with him, Bethel or Bethel. It was a place that Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear and I'll return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. And God did that. And so Jacob remembers his commitment to the Lord. This was a significant event in his life. After 10 years of floundering, he'd finally been taken back to where it all began. He was once again God's man on God's mission. What does that look like? Smooth sailing? Look at verse 8. Verse 8, we're told in the midst of this uh, story. Now Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died. And she was buried below Bethel under the oak. It was named Alon-Bakuth, the Oak of Weeping. Look at verse 17. Uh, Rachel began to give birth and she uh, suffered severe labor. When she was in severe labor and the midwife said to her, do not fear for now you have another son. It came about as her soul was departing for she died that she named him Benoni and his father called him Benjamin. Being right with God, does that mean that we have no heartaches, no trials? No. Jacob was finally where he was supposed to be physically and spiritually, but he lost Deborah, who was his, probably his nanny. His, wife's nur- his mother's nurse. Then he loses his beloved wife. Loses his beloved wife. But yet, Jacob is never the same. He is God's man on God's mission. He's back where he should be physically and more importantly, back where he should be spiritually. Quickly, how can we return to Bethel? If we find ourselves in a spiritual wilderness, what, what's the message for us this morning? When we stray from the Lord, get distracted by the world, and when we begin to compromise our faith and we're not walking in the Spirit, what do we do? Remember, God initiates Jacob's return. You may think, well, be thinking, well, that's great. I wish God would speak to me. Well, He does. If you're a child of God, God speaks to you through His Spirit. His Holy Spirit woos you, convicts you, draws you back to where He wants you to be, where you need to be, where we need to be Spiritually. If you no longer feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that's a dangerous place to be. A dangerous place to be. But God convicts, the Holy Spirit convicts His children. God's Word speaks to His children. He communicates to us His love for us, His desire for us. Even in His Word, He communicates to us what we need to do. And it looks something like this recognize our idols, recognize our idols. What have we allowed into our lives that's displeasing to the Lord? What does our spiritual housecleaning need to look like? Now remember, an idol doesn't have to be a statue. An idol can be anything or anyone that we allow to, to, to come between us and the Lord. An idol is anything that keeps us from growing in the Lord and doing His will. For some, it's the idol of success. Our career is more important than obeying God's will. We find that we have little time left for God. We're just too busy. We're, too, we're working too much. Why? Because the truth is, we've lost our heart for God. Our work has become our treasure rather than God. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Success can do that. Material goods, collecting all the things. That's, you know, we, you know, the, the idols do look, take a material form. I love what Cal Thomas said today. We know that we're a sad country. One of the largest businesses in, our, in America is the storage business. <laughs> what does that mean? It means we've got too much stuff. We don't have enough room in our house to, to keep all of our stuff. We have to pay somebody to keep our stuff for us. There's something wrong with that. But yet so many people, their idols are material goods. Some, the idol is pleasure, the pursuit of pleasure. Now let me just explain, there's nothing wrong with pleasure as long as we seek our pleasure in the Lord. And that's the only true pleasure we find in life. But unfortunately, many people seek pleasure in ungodly relationships, uh, through ungodly habits, pornography, other sensual activities, looking for pleasure, looking for that feeling that becomes an idol. Jesus warned us about the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. It's deceitful because none of these things satisfy. They're false gods. They offer what they can't deliver. They're false gods. And let me just touch on this. For some, the idols are attitudes that displease the Lord. Anger and bitterness can become an idol. Yeah, they become an idol if you continue to hang on to that anger, that bitterness. You continue, you don't let it go. You harbor it, you coddle it, and you refuse to kill it. Like we need to kill that spider. How do you kill bitterness? By forgiving. Through forgiveness. That's the only cure for bitterness. Is forgiveness. And bitterness is like a match. It only burns the one who holds it. But we can kill it by forgiving other people. What is it in your life that's keeping you from growing as a believer? That's keeping you from following God's will? Once we recognize our idols and we confess our sin to God. And to confess means that we agree with God. We've got a problem. We have a problem. Then we repent of our sin. To truly repent means to change directions. We're going one way and we turn another. We take action against our sin. That's what Jacob did. He got all of the idols out. He took them out and he buried them. He buried them under a tree. When we truly repent, we take action against our idols, we take action against the sin in our life. We turn away from sin and we turn to God. That's, again, what it means to repent. All of the Christian life, it said, is one of repentance. <laughs> that was encouraging to me. You know, I grew up rededicating my life. I nearly wore the carpet out at Evergreen Baptist. I rededicated every time until I learned what repentance was all about. You know, repentance sounds like a harsh word, but it's not. It's a good word. We'll see in just a minute. But all the Christian life is one of repentance as we turn away from the things of the world and we turn to God. For God to kill the spider, we have to repent. Then thirdly, we need to remember our commitment. Jacob had the opportunity to repeat his practice of worship. He went back to the place that he went, uh, where he had this significant event in his life. Remember our commitment. You don't have to physically go back to the place but you can remember the commitment you've made to the Lord. In Revelation 2, Jesus talking to the church at Ephesus says that they had left their first love. What's the answer? He says, therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Remember, repent, and do the deeds you did at first. I was thinking about that when we're in that spiritual wilderness and we, be, we confess our sin, we begin to repent and turn from, then we need to just go back to the basics. Get back in the Word of God. Find you a simple, basic Bible study. Begin to take five minutes a day and read God's Word. Get the Bible reading plan. Begin to saturate your mind. I love uh, David Nasser says to marinate in the Word of God. How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to thy word? Thy word have I treasured in my heart. The mindset on the flesh is death. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. We put God's word in our heart just like our Gideon brothers do. We begin to go back to the basics. We begin to spend time in prayer. Make you a prayer list. Pray for people. Pray for yourself. Pray for your children. Pray and ask God to turn your heart. Lord, give me the grace to respond. Give me the grace to repent. Give me the grace to confess. Give me the grace to return to you the way I want to. And God says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Go back to the basics. Go back to Christian fellowship. You know, Sam, I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here, but there are probably a lot of people who aren't here and need to be here. When we begin to go through that spiritual fog, the first thing we think is the church doesn't care. Nobody loves me. I'm irrelevant. I don't don't care. I don't matter. And we begin to drift away from God's people. We need to go to God's people when we begin to drift. We need to confess our sin to one another. We need to pray for one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to stimulate one another to love and good works. We need each other. Return to the body. Hang on to the body. Sadly, what we do is we pull away when we should be seeking out our Christian fellowship. Repent and do the deeds you did at first. Remember your commitment. The special place that I talked about, you may not be able to go back. There's a a tree that was broken down in Miller's Ferry. I stopped there one day when God was wrestling with, I was wrestling with God over an issue in my life. I stopped my little Ford Pinto. I went out in the woods in Miller's Ferry, and there was a tree broken off about like this that made a little altar. And I got down on my knees at that altar, and I'd surrendered this area of my life to God. I can't go back to Miller's Ferry. Probably couldn't find it if I wanted to. But you know, there's a place right here where we can kneel. Most churches have them. We call them altars. It may not be your special place, but it's a place of surrender where we can return and we can be restored. Repentance, as I said, may sound like a harsh word, but it's not. Paul, uh, Peter, in his sermon in Acts chapter 3, said, Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of what? Refreshing. Does that sound harsh? Doesn't that sound nice? Repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Church, there's only one way to get out of the spiritual wilderness. is to repent and return. Let's bow our heads together. Repentance means confession. Kirk Borkland says this, and it's my heart to you. Father, the truth about me is that often I choose to sin. Sometimes I choose hatred. Sometimes I choose slander. Sometimes I choose envy. Sometimes I choose greed, pettiness, lust, gossip, pride, self-reliance, self-righteousness, dishonesty. Sometimes I choose unkind words. Sometimes I choose to pursue personal pleasure rather than pursuing you. Sometimes I choose to ignore the obvious needs around me. Sometimes I choose to hoard rather than to give. Sometimes I choose to neglect your command to share the gospel. The list of things I wrongly choose could go on and on. And sometimes I act on these things in ways that are darker than I can even care to speak of. Each time I make a choice, I choose death, Romans 6.23. But today, I ask that you would breathe life into my soul afresh and enable me to choose life, to choose you and your ways.